World you Wrestling Federation is. champion, Brett the Hitman Hart, nailing that 300-pound plus Papa Shango. However, as you saw earlier tonight, some interesting developments that definitely will affect you at the Survivor Series. Intercontinental champion now, Shawn Michaels. That means it's going to be champion versus champion when he meets you Thanksgiving Eve. You know, he said... He, Intercontinental champion. Hey, he's not the man that came out here earlier tonight and made the promise that he would become the Intercontinental champion. It was Shawn Michaels. He's not the man that came out here tonight and told everybody that at Survivor Series, I'm going to take what you think is rightfully you. Hey, 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 guys, please. Why don't you not talk about it and do something about I it? I got news for you, Jack. I don't know how good your memory is. Do you know who I beat tonight? Do you remember who I beat tonight? Let me remind you a little bit, Hitman. It was the British Bulldog. You remember him, huh? Do you remember him? That's the same guy that humiliated you in front of 80,000 people. And I got news for you. That is nothing. Nothing compared to what Shawn Michaels oh my, is going to do to you at Survivor Series. Get ready, because you're not going to have that. Hey, 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 you guys, save it. Come on, Obviously, there's no love lost between these two superstars. This Wednesday night of the Survivor Series is champion versus champion. And only the coveted WWF title is at stake when Bret Hart clashes with Shawn Michaels. Now, this special title bout is just one of the great matches at Survivor Series, which you can see exclusively on pay-per-view television. Don't miss this tremendous WWF extravaganza. Call your local cable company right now and make sure of your reservation. It's the Survivor Series. He's wrestled throughout the globe. Captured 32 championships over five decades. He's a member of the Harvey family. The Besser is, the Besser was, and the Besser ever will be. This is excellently executed. You're listening to Excellently Executed. executed. Grab a beverage, pull up a seat, and turn your device up. It's Excellently Executed. The podcast that breaks down the matches of Bret Hart. And on this week's episode, it's Bret, it's Sean, it's Survivor Series 1992. Yes, we will be going back and looking at their first encounter at a Survivor Series and breaking that down. Was this the most influential match as to how wrestling is viewed today? Keep listening and find out. But first... Wherever you are listening from, United States, Canada, we have a lot of listeners in the UK, which I really appreciate because the UK might be the most hardcore wrestling fans, which, hey, United States, Canada, everywhere else, if you disagree with that, well, prove me wrong. I also want to say thanks to those listening in Latvia and Poland, because for a while, Excellently Executed was the number one wrestling podcast on iTunes in those countries. And that just encourages me to keep going. So thank you to everyone for listening, reviewing, and rating the show. Such as Mama 5 of Indiana, who said, Great listen. As a Bret Hart fan, I really enjoy the show. Keep up the good work. Well, Mama 5 in Indiana, I will. If you like this show, you'll love Talking Taker. Talking Taker is a podcast which is an encyclopedic explorational dig at the career of The Undertaker with hosts Alex and Travis. 
They look at all of The Undertaker's pay-per-view matches as well as the events surrounding them. If it sounds familiar, it's probably because Talking Taker was very influential when I was coming up with the idea for this podcast. Now guys, they're wrapping up the whole series, but that doesn't mean it's too late to jump on. It's kind of what I'm aiming for with this podcast, where you don't have to listen to the latest episodes or know what's going on at the time. You could just pick and choose and even years down the road, go back and pull up a random episode and jump right back in. So go in to subscribe because they have a huge back catalog and you really won't be disappointed. Speaking of podcasts, I was a guest on the Maple Leaf Wrestling Podcast. Now, I talked about them before on this podcast, but I actually had the privilege to sit down with David K. Martin and talk about Excellent Executed, Bret Hart, and wrestling in general. So please go follow his Twitter feed at MLWHistoryPod, which is all one word, or search Maple Leaf Wrestling History on your podcast platform. David K. Martin is a natural speaker and a really hard worker. He puts a lot of research and work to make sure that he puts out a quality product. And it was an honor to be his guest. Speaking of guests, I have no manners because I forgot to let everyone know that I actually have a guest on this week's episode. He is the Thunderdome Titan, Jay Love. So you probably never heard of him, but that's okay. Because he is what I consider the perfect guest. On this podcast, I don't want to just have wrestlers. I want to have honest to good wrestling fans. I want people who enjoy wrestling and the art of it. And it's okay to dissect it, but not discriminate against it. And Jay does just that. He will tell you if there is something that he doesn't connect with. He will criticize a match or storyline. However, he will tell you what he likes. He will buy the merch. He will be logged on every week in the Thunderdome to cheer and boo and get animated. Guys, it's all too easy to criticize wrestling. But do we support it? Something to think about. All the matches. All the moments. All the heart. You're listening to Excellently Executed. And here we go. It's Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hitman Hart at Survivor Series 1992. Yes, and I am here with my guest this week. My first ever guest on Excellently Executed. He is a Thunderdome Titan, Jay Love. Jay, how's it going? Not too bad. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing excellent. No pun intended. <laughs> so we'll just, you know, a lot of people might not know who you are. So we'll uh, kind of introduce you. And what we'll do is I'll do uh, like a lightning round. I'll fire off some questions. You fire off some answers. And it'll give our listeners a better understanding of exactly who the Thunderdome Titan is. So first, Sounds are you good. ready? Absolutely. Earliest wrestling memory. Uh, Joe Louis Arena watching Hacksaw Jim Duggan come out to the ring. I had my foam 2x4. You had one of those foam 2x4s? I did, yes. It was actually, I had it uh, shoved between my mattress and my headboard when I was a little kid. That's where I stored it. And I used to beat my brother with it all the time. <laughs> Million dollar question, do you still have it? I don't. It It disintegrated over time. Disintegrated. <laughs> it disintegrated. A lot of a lot of headshots wore that thing down. 
All right. Favorite wrestling match? Uh, favorite match probably would be Brett versus Owen in the steel cage at SummerSlam. Favorite non-Bret Hart wrestling match? Uh, I would probably have to go... Hmm. Uh, probably, and as much as I hated the outcome of it, uh, Shawn Michaels versus John Cena at WrestleMania at Ford Field, and that was just for the fact that I was there and I was able to be a witness to it. <laughs> All right, favorite time period in wrestling. So would that be like the Attitude uh, Era? Probably would definitely be the Attitude Era. All right, favorite wrestler of all time. Favorite wrestler of all time would probably have to be uh, Brett's uh, little brother, Owen. Nice. And I I see, obviously, our listeners can't see, but I can see right now (laughs) that you're wearing the Owen Hart shirt from, was that from Pro Wrestling Tees? It was from Pro Wrestling Tees following the... uh, Dark Side of the Ring. Dark Side of the Ring, not (laughs) that. Awesome. All right. Favorite piece of wrestling memorabilia? Uh, probably own? my uh, uh, white uh, intercontinental championship title belt. Oh, that's beautiful. I see you wearing it. I, I even seen you. You had it when you were on Thunderdome uh, once or ten times. I did. Uh, every time I've been on Thunderdome, I've tried to have the belt with me. And uh, it, although wearing it for three hours on Raw, you start to get a little bit of a neck cramp from having the thing over your shoulder for three hours straight. Well, <laughs> I, I called you the Thunderdome Titan. And I, I, let me explain that. I called you it because you've been in the crowd of the Thunderdome probably more than anybody. What was the Thunderdome experience like? Uh, Well, the first attempt at it was actually for their test run night uh, before they ever actually did a live broadcast of it. And I was sitting on a train on my way back from uh, Toronto, from Niagara Falls. And doing it on a train, trying to not be loud and obnoxious on the train, cheering for the different matches that were going on. But overall, the Thunderdome experience, it is a lot of fun. Uh, they tell you who they want you to cheer for sometimes, but uh, it doesn't matter. I don't follow what they want. So how, how do they do that? Sorry to interrupt you. How do they do that? There's a moderator talking to you throughout the show. Uh, he'll be the moderator will say, for example, like, uh, oh, here comes Baron Corbin. Let's uh, show him how much we don't like him. Boo him. And so on. And they want you to be animatronic. They want you to be they want you to just be excited. They want you to be out there. They want the more excitement you show and the more animation you show in your behavior, the more you will get on. Uh, for example, there was a night I was on and I was on for the entire uh, three hours of Raw and the half hour taping a main event. And I was just, I was doing Madonna's Vogue and I was just doing, I was doing Stevie Wonder motions. I was doing Madonna's Vogue. I was doing all kinds of things just, and I was kept on hard camera within the first three rows the entire night, just because you act like a fool, you get on. That's excellent. (laughs) Well, are you ready to talk about Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart at not 1997, but SummerSlam or Survivor Series 1992? Yes, absolutely, where the rivalry truly began. Now, I got to ask you this question before we begin. Uh, Prior to me asking, you know, hey, you want to come on the show and talk about this match, have you ever watched this match or seen this match before? I have, many times. Oh, so many times. I'm I'm an avid watcher of Brett Hart's uh, 
matches. I I have the uh, Brett Day Man Hart the Dungeon Collection DVD set. I, I watch. I love watching his matches. They're just they're they're entertaining. They're enthralling. They're they're captivating most of the time. Nice. I guess I should have asked you what was your opinion on Brett Hart. <laughs> <laughs> Brett, right. Brett is a Brett is a technician. He he definitely is. He was one of the best tech. He is one of the best technicians there there was in wrestling. So there was, is, and ever will be. Ever will be. Absolutely yes. <laughs> All right. So Survivor Series 1992, Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels. You know what? There's not much of a backstory to look at, but this is what I got. British Bulldog defeated Bret Hart for the Intercontinental title at SummerSlam 1992 on August 29th. Later, a few months later, Bret Hart defeated Ric Flair in Saskatoon. Yeah, I'm from Saskatoon. What's up in Canada, eh? For the World Wrestling Federation title on October 12th. And when Bret won the title, he was known as the fighting champion, taking on all challengers. Where Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior would have sporadic title matches, Bret Hart was known to defend his title everywhere, including primetime wrestling and superstars. Now let's look at Shawn Michaels. Earlier that year, he turned against his tag team partner, the Rockers. Jay, were you a big Rockers fan? Yes and no. I I, uh, I enjoyed their matches, but they didn't really uh, throw me in uh, watching them fight. So, so you were glad that when Shawn Michaels put Marty Jannetty through the barbershop window? I was, Zach. I was very glad with that. Uh, Shawn, Shawn really excelled at being a singles competitor as opposed to his tag team reign. He was trying to establish himself as a bona fide heel. And on Saturday night's main event on November 14th, Michaels defeated the British Bulldog to win the Intercontinental title. The Bulldog left the company soon after, and according to Brett's book, the reason for Smith's release was that he and the Ultimate Warrior were receiving shipments of human growth hormone from a pharmacy in England. So Bulldog, Warrior, out, the whole face of the Summer or Survivor Series changed. So this happened at the Richfield Coliseum in Richfield Township, Ohio. The attendance was 17,500. This was the first... Survivor Series card that was not actually dominated by the traditional Survivor Series matches. Are you a fan of that? Yes. Yes, I do enjoy the Survivor Series matches when they're given a little bit of a backstory with them, right? Obviously, there's got to be some kind of a uh, of of a build-up to them. For sure. Now, are you a fan of the current product of what they have with uh, Raw vs. SmackDown? Uh, yes. Yes, I, I do enjoy the, the, the brand splits and the fights between the brands, obviously. It'd be great to get everybody on one show, as we all remember it would be. But obviously, uh, it, it creates a little bit of more drama, drama for them. Another fun fact about this Survivor Series that you'll be happy to know that was that this was High Energy's first televised match. A little Owen Hart for you there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the pay-per-view buy rate for this was one4 and to that date, it was the lowest buy rate for Survivor Series. Oh, now we gotta remember that this was this was a critical moment in the company because of the steroid uh, trial that was going on and the allegations and everything. They were switching from more of the bigger burly guys to 
the finesse and technical guys. Hence why we have Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels. Tech, in the yep. event. With that being said of how this was the lowest buy rate to date for their Survivor Series, this did outdraw the following 12 Survivor Series. So like 93, 94, 95. For sure. And also it was also a Wednesday night, which was, which as we would see it is very unusual for pay-per-view. <laughs> and do you know why it was Wednesday night? I don't. Because it was Thanksgiving Eve. Ah, okay. Yes. It was weird having it on a Wednesday. And they did this for a period of time. I believe they even had a Royal Rumble on a Monday. I think the Royal Rumble 1993 was on a Monday, which is kind of crazy to think about. So the commentators for this event was Vince McMahon and Bobby the Brain Heenan. The referee was Earl Hebner. So we cut to the back where Sean Mooney is interviewing Shawn Michaels. Sean is obnoxiously chewing gum and blowing bubbles. And Mooney questions Sherry's absence. Sherry, if you remember, was his manager at the time. Her absence because she had the heart-shaped mirror smashed over her head a few weeks prior. Mooney then says Michaels defeated a seamlessly invincible British Bulldog to capture the Intercontinental title. Back to the interview, Michaels uses post-hoc fallacy which is, since event Y followed event X, event Y must have been caused by X, and this since the British Bulldog defeated Bret Hart for the IC title, and Shawn Michaels defeated British Bulldog, then therefore Shawn Michaels is going to defeat Bret Hart. Who is the man that beat Bret Hart at SummerSlam for the Intercontinental title? Well, the British Bulldog. That's right. Now, who is the man that defeated the British Bulldog quite easily, I'm mad at, to become the new WWF Intercontinental Champion. Well, you did. Everyone That's knows. right, me. Now, for all you mathematical geniuses out there, one and one make two. Two belts. See, when I signed for this match, Hitman, I knew I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. Your belt's on the line Mine stays right here. So tonight, all over the world, the last thing the people will hear is, ladies and gentlemen, Shawn Michaels, the Intercontinental Champion, and new World Wrestling Federation Champion, has left the building. We then go to the arena where Shawn Michaels makes his way to the ring. And he is coming out to the ring to the original Sexy Boy theme song, sung by Sherry. Jay, can you give us a little bit of that? (laughs) I don't think I could personally do it justice. I truly don't. (laughs) We are then thrown in the back where Mean Gene Oakland is with world champion Bret Hart. Gene reminds us that Bret recently defeated Ric Flair for the world title, and he did it by using the sharpshooter. Gene then puts Brett over by saying he's the fighter's champion before going over a list of recent victories for the Hitman. Brett says that Survivor Series and Thanksgiving go hand in hand and that Thanksgiving is known for giving thanks and he's thankful for being champion. He then says he started from the bottom and now he's here. Kind of a Drake line there. I was. I thought the same thing. He was well ahead of the of the times when it came to Drake's famous words. <laughs> you know, Gene, Survivor Series, 
and Thanksgiving have always been held in real close association. And everybody around the world knows that Thanksgiving is maybe the most special day for giving thanks. And nobody knows more about giving thanks than I do. As I stand before you right now, being the World Wrestling Federation champion, took me a long time to get this far, Gene. Mm. And Shawn Michaels, it's not about giving thanks for surviving one night. It's like surviving eight and a half years. That's what I've been doing, Shawn Michaels. I've been surviving a long time. I started out on the bottom, Shawn Michaels, of the World Wrestling Federation. I started out taking on everybody, clawing and fighting my way to the top, fighting my way through injuries, pain, all kinds of opponents, all kinds of shapes and sizes. And it didn't matter who it was, Shawn Michaels. I went through the tag teams. I went through the Intercontinental. But you know, Shawn Michaels, I've won a few, I've lost a few, but I'm right now, I'm at, at the highest. I am the World Wrestling Federation champion, and I'm proud of it. Shawn Michaels, you're a great wrestler. You got all kinds of great moves, and I got nothing but respect for you. You're going to be a great Intercontinental champion. But Shawn Michaels, tonight, we're going to find out who's going to survive as the World Wrestling Federation champion. And the excellence of execution is feeling pretty excellent tonight. Let's get back to ringside. Back to the arena, and Brett makes his way to the ring as there is a sign in the crowd that says Brett will give Sean a heart attack. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Vince McMahon puts Brett over by saying he is the most scientific champion of all time. And Bobby Heenan replies with, Wrong! What do you mean, wrong? Flair! Vince Flair! Who was the man that the hitman Bret Hart defeated for the WWF Championship? It was Rick Ric Flair! Right. But on any given night, my cash. On any given night, any WWF superstar can beat any WWF superstar. And that's exactly what we have here. Champion versus champion. We could perhaps see Shawn Michaels defeat the hitman Bret Hart. As was brought out earlier on, the hitman has been defending the championship at a record-setting pace. He's burning the belt at both ends. Is really? what he's doing. Is that right? Kiss it goodbye, Mr. Hitman. Bret takes off his winged eagle and kisses it before handing it over to Earl Hebner. Brett gives out his glasses before getting back in the ring and starting the match. I absolutely got to say one of the best things that Michaels really showed his heel nature was his taking the belt when Earl passed it towards him and breathed on it and polished it before it was taken away for the match to start. It was just a little nice little niche moment of Sean saying, yeah, that sucker is going to be mine very shortly. Brett and Sean lock up and each man try a jockey for position before going to the turnbuckle, and Hemner breaks it up. Then they lock up again, and Michael knees Hart and delivers a belly-to-back takedown. And we get a little amateur wrestling as each man tries to get behind each other before Hart gets the better of him, and Michaels makes it to the ropes. It was some really good ground exchange between both of them. It really, really showed their, uh, their, their mindfulness for technical uh, wrestling and trying to get the upper hand and keeping each other down to the mat. It's funny because I never really picture Michaels as much of an amateur wrestler. 
No, but what it was that spoke to his versatility that he was able to, when he needed to, he was able to bring what he needed to to the table to succeed. Once both men are back on their feet, and irate Shawn Michaels shoves Bret Hart, Hart returns the favor. They lock up again, and we get a little back-and-forth arm ringers before Michaels grabs a handful of Hart's hair to bring him to the mat. Bret kips up and starts working over Michaels' arm and brings Michaels to the mat. Yeah, Brett, Brett and Sean, both of them in this ring, amazing kick up, kip ups. Loved both of them for their kip ups abilities. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, I don't really recall Brett kipping up too much in his career, and this kind of caught me off guard. He he would do it periodically every now and then, but uh, and that was what made it really special. Was when he did it, it was like, hey, he can he was able to pull that off. Because we've seen many people fail at that in their in their time. Have you ever, like as a kid, tried to kip up? I never tried to kip up. Oh my god, and I if tried. If I tried to kip up now, I'd never be able to get up again. <laughs> I've tried and tried <laughs> and tried, and I could not get it for the life of me. And I just felt like a fish flopping around. <laughs> I probably looked more like a whale, but... <laughs> <laughs> Heenan strategizes for Michaels by saying, Well, knowing that the hitman is an aggressive wrestler, he comes at you, he doesn't back up. You've got to get him in a position where he'll make a mistake. Because you're not going to beat the hitman hold for hold. They're both the same size, about the same speed. Oh, come on, look at that, yanking the hair. Come on, Ralph. The hitman could have a little more experience. Hip hop. Nicely done. What do you mean, could have? Eight and a half long years. You heard him earlier on. But Shawn Michaels is a naturally gifted athlete. Yes, indeed. Okay, so here, what you have to do is cause the hitman to make a mistake. And if you know how to do it, you can sucker him into a move. And when no one's looking, kaboom, lower the boom on him, hook the tights, grab the hair, snatch his ears, do whatever you have to do to walk away with that title. And you can do it if you use your head. Heenan is not wrong because Michaels and Hart are sized up well, but Hart is the better wrestler. This is also the same strategy that Hart uses in many of his matches, where he tries to catch his opponent off guard. Yes, absolutely. He he uh, he looks for those moments where he can kind of sit back and let them get in, get ahead of themselves, and then strike when uh, they're least expecting it. Well, in the hold, Michaels makes his way up to his feet and yanks on Hart's head multiple times. Michaels whips Hart into the ropes, drop down, leapfrog, drop to a hold. Michael goes for the Bulldog headlock, but before he could get it locked in, Hart maneuvers out and places Michaels into a hammer lock, going back to damaging Michael's arm. Michaels makes it to his feet and reverses the hammer lock. Hart runs towards the rope, sending HBK outside to the floor. Hart takes his time and pumps his arm, kind of like a golfer when they sink a punt. <laughs> yeah, he definitely did. Now, I want you to remember this this little spot okay where bret hart uh kind of where he runs towards a rope sending michaels out okay yep michaels then gets on the apron and hart catches him off guard yanks the ropes and catapults michaels into the ring and hart quickly goes back to work on that arm do you think that was a good strategy for hart to go uh to work over michael's arm like think about it if you were in the match and you were going up against Shawn Michaels, would it be the arm that you're targeting? Not particularly. It would not be my first area of attack. 
is to try and take his arm because Sean wasn't overly act, uh, active with his arms in his moveset. It was a lot, well, obviously you want to take out the leg for the, uh, the classic sweet chin music, but the arm would not be my first go-to and you'd want to work his legs so you could wear him down for the sharpshooter, right? You know what? I th- I had that same thought process in my head while watching this. I'm like, why is Brett working over his arm? It makes no sense. Go after the leg, the sweet chin music. Shawn Michaels is fast. It'll slow him down. So as I was thinking about it, it, it dawned on me why he might possibly be aiming for the arm. And that's because at this point in time, Shawn Michaels' finishing mover was the teardrop suplex. Very true, yes. Which he needs his arms for. Yep. So that's the only that's the only reason why I could think of why Bret Hart would target the arm so much. A little back and forth until Hitman comes off the ropes with a crossbody block and into a pin. Hart only gets a two count until Michael sends Hart to the outside of the ring. Hart quickly gets to his feet and to the apron where he delivers a sunset flip for a two count. Michaels quickly gets to his feet before Hart takes him down with an armbar. Heenan once again gives us insight and proves to us why he is called the brain. See, being the champion, you have to know where you are in that ring. You have to always set yourself up to be close to the ropes. You get drop kicked, go down if you have to, but know where you are. So you can throw the leg out, grab the rope, hit the floor, save yourself. And again, Bret Hart hanging on. Nice maneuver. Boy, are they in shape, huh? No question about that. Both proponents of integrated conditioning. Program, IcoPro. Vince shells IcoPro as Michaels delivers some <laughs> blows. I got to stop right here and ask, have you ever tried IcoPro in your life? <laughs> I have never tried IcoPro in my life, and I absolutely loved Vince McMahon's little plug of it at that moment. I was, as It was one, one thing that stuck out stuck out in that commentary was his little plug plug of ico pro i just had to get, laugh at that well that's how all his uh athletes got so big and muscular right oh yeah absolutely <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> yes <laughs> you saw Michael's... on television ww wwf at the time you do saw that banner just awkwardly hanging in the top of the arena every show <laughs> so... i wonder what he did with the surplus of uh ico pro he, pro he couldn't sell yeah i don't know he used it for himself. <laughs> he probably still has it in the cellar in his house. <laughs> now coming in September, WWE Vitamins. Yes. <laughs> Michael sends Hart into the ropes, but Hart reverses it and goes for a hip toss. Michael lands on his feet and goes for a clothesline. Hart ducks it and delivers a clothesline of his own. Hart goes for the pin, but only gets a two before locking on another hammer lock and going back to that arm. Michaels gets to his feet and reaches for the ropes, but Brett pulls him back to the center of the ring. Michaels backs Brett into the ropes and whips him off. We get a drop down tackle, then as Brett is coming off the ropes, Michael picks Hart up and drapes him over the top rope into a stun gun variation. Hart clutches his throat. The tie turns in Michael's favor. That was one major thing with these two you could always count on. It was the back and forth momentum shifts in their matches. They always were, it was pretty evenly matched in the amount of time they each got to be on the offensive in the match. And it always gave the, the, the false hope to fans at moments throughout it on who was going to come out victorious in the end. 
Heenan says Sean has good two feet to kick Hart's teeth in. Sean should do some Greco-Roman kicking. You can always count on Heenan for the vague, random uh, analogies in his commentary. Michaels whips Hart into the corner, but Hart reverses it and follows him in. But Michaels re- moves, and Hart hits his shoulder against the seal post. Another chink in the hitman's armor. Brett was always able to take those corner bumps solid. It, every time, whether it was the uh, turnbuckle to the sternum or it was taking the ring post to the shoulder, it was always he, he was able to sell them so well. Heenan encourages Michaels to work over Hart's shoulder, but Michaels does only one move to the area before delivering punches and working over Hitman's head. How did you feel about this? Like, okay, so Bret Hart, you know, there's a, a, a big turning point where his throat, he injured his throat. Then he injures his uh, shoulder into the post. And Michael's like, nah, I'll punch his head. It didn't really fit with it. You would think at that moment, you've worked him down on his arms, on his neck. Anybody who's played any any wrestling video game recently, when you've got the, the, the color coding on the body, you know that as soon as you see the, the colors start turning on that part of the body, you got to work that body. It just didn't, it, it didn't quite make sense. You think his focus would have been on the top half there. Michael's Irish rips Hart into the corner and Hart goes third him first. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Michael gets a two count and then applies a headlock. There we go, right? He gets so there we go. <laughs> he injures his sternum, goes for the pin, he's like, ah oh, nah, this is not working. I'm going back to the head. <laughs> applies a headlock. <laughs> And I, I don't know at what point Heenan said it, but it's funny because I think uh, Michaels was punching Hart and Heenan says, you're not going to hurt him like that. He's a Hart. Hart starts to fight out of the headlock, but Michael brings Hart back to the mat to the crowd's dismay. In a vulnerable position, Hart resorts to desperation and briefly tugs on Michael's hair. Hart makes it to his feet and fights out of the hold only to run into a dropkick. Michael goes for the pin, but garners a two. Michael delivers a backbreaker, goes for another pin, but gets another two count. Michaels then locks on the headlock once again. It was it was back. It was just returning to the same the same attacks the attack base that he went through most of this match with. Hart once again makes it to his feet and fights out of the move. He hits the ropes again as Michael baits Hart. Hart remembers what happened previously. Steps on the brakes for a split second before delivering a neck breaker. This spot worked out really well because the crowd remembers what happened last time that Hart was like running into Michaels. Yep. And that the fact that Hart was able to stop and adjust his offense, they really liked that and they applauded Hart. For sure. Michaels delivers a punch and gains momentum once again. Michaels puts some boots to Hart before locking on an overhead headlock. Hart gets to his feet and charges Michaels into the corner. Hart goes to whip Michaels into the corner, but Michaels reverses it. He follows Hart into the corner, but is met by Hart's boot. Hart then delivers a running bulldog. Hart goes to the second rope, a.k.a. Brett's rope. Jumps off with an elbow, but misses. One thing you could always count on with Brett was solid, smooth running of the ropes. He always came off those ropes with such just smooth, pristine in his ability with it and his agility on it. It was, it was always something to watch. 
One thing I want to ask you is, Bret Hart does a running bulldog here. We don't usually see running bulldogs anymore in today's wrestling. Do you think there's a place for it? Or is it one of those moves where fans would look at it and be like, nah, this isn't going to work? Uh, I actually do think there is a place for it, especially when you've got some of your uh, some of your mismatched sizes in the ring. Definitely as a smaller competitor, uh, it definitely would work as a move to catch them off guard from behind and take them down, get them down to the mat, your larger competitors, your larger opponents. Michaels tries another couple of pins, but each time he only gets a two. Michaels figures there is still fight left in heart, so he goes back to the overhead headlock. <laughs> the referee raises Hart's arm up, but falls. On the second attempt, Hart's arm falls again. On the third, Hart keeps his arm up and makes his way back to his feet. Hart slings his arm over Michaels' neck and uses Michaels' momentum to roll backwards into a small package. Michaels quickly recovers and delivers some blows to Hart in the corner. Michaels whips Hart and follows close behind. Hart springs off the turnbuckle over Michaels and delivers a back suplex. Michael's selling is excellent at this point as he flops out of it. Yes. Oh, absolutely. It was, it was amazing movements on his part. And just Michael's was, he was able to sell. That was one of the key things that Michael's always was able to bring to the ring. And especially in matches with Brett, they both sold off each other's moves so flawlessly. It was, it was awesome to watch. Hart locks on a headlock, but Michael sends Hart into the ropes. Michaels leapfrogs Hart as he goes to do it again, but Hart catches Michaels, pivots into position so he can catapult Michaels into the corner turnbuckle. Michaels once again flops around. I really like, like you, you were right when you said Michaels, his selling, you know, I, I know a lot of people will look back at it and think of it as overselling, but when you're, um, you know, a, a chicken heel like he is, that's when it works the best. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Hart's adrenaline kicks in as he hops to his feet. Michaels is bagging Hart off, but Hart backs him into the corner and delivers some blows to the breadbasket of Shawn Michaels. Hart whips Michaels into the corner and Michaels is kind of draped across the top. Hart kicks him, sending Michaels into the air, landing crotch first on the top rope. The crowd loves this. Hart is on fire, hitting a headbutt and a back body drop. Hart goes for the pin, but Michaels aggressively kicks out. Michaels and the ropes. Michaels has something with the ropes. I don't know what it is, but whenever you put that man near the ropes, he was always able to sell it, and it was always hysterical to watch. Whether it was earlier in the match when Brett flipped him over the ropes from the outside, him getting rung up uh, in the crotch on top of the ropes, getting thrown through the ropes, his infamous rumble against the bulldog, holding on to the top rope. Michaels was always able to sell with the ropes. It was just it was just something about it. I don't know what it is. Hart sends Michaels into the ropes <laughs> and hits HBK with a punch to the midsection, followed with a Russian leg sweep. Once again, Hart gets a two. Hart delivers a backbreaker, followed by an elbow drop from the second rope. Michael resiliently kicks out as, at two. Hart seats Michael on the top rope and goes for the superplex. This is a common move for Hart, but this was also a callback to Michael's match with the British Bulldog because Michael's was able to reverse the maneuver to win the Intercontinental title. Hart was successful on this execution, 
but I would have really liked to see them milk this maneuver a little bit more since it was kind of a callback. Yeah. So just just give it a little bit more of an homage treatment to it, right? Like give it a little bit more a little more emphasis on the fact that it was such a callback moment. Both men are down as a referee administers the ten count. Hart drapes an arm over Michaels for a pin, but Michael kicks out. Back on their feet, Michaels swings at Hart, but Hart ducks and locks on a sleeper hold. Michaels backs up Hart into the corner, sandwiching referee Earl Hebner in the process. <laughs> oh, Earl, always able to take a bump. He, he was always he's phenomenal at taking a bump. Er, er, Earl's reputation took a lot, a big hit, obviously, from the uh, incident that is so well known. It doesn't actually have to be named anymore. But uh, er, Earl was one of the greats. He was one, one, one of the best. I agree with you there. I, th- I, I think it's funny that all the key players here were in that incident five years later. Yes. Oh, for sure. It showed how everybody was really in a bad bad position in that incident down the road it, it just it it was just a really big tough moment for everybody that was involved because they'd come so far together right good guy brett checks on the ref michaels looks to catch hart off guard with a kick but hart catches it and swings michael around into an atomic drop but michaels reverses that by somersaulting over hart michaels grabs hart around the waist Hart reverses it, and Michaels gives Hart a taste of his own medicine by running towards a rope and sending Hart outside, a callback spot to earlier on. Both men are exhausted. I absolutely loved that they revisited that moment by reversing the rolls on it and putting Brett out to the floor. Uh, it, it really was a nice touch in, like you said, the callback and just revisiting that spot. And at the same time, as always, it gave the crowd a little bit of a chance to really get uh, invested in what they were seeing in front of them because it just really opened their eyes to they were so evenly matched and so similar to one another in their abilities and their in-ring tactics for that to happen. Michael jumps from the ring to the outside and rams hearts back into the steel post. He goes back into the ring to break the count, then jumps back out and slams Hart. Michael then sends Hart back into the ring. Michael changes his strategy and starts to focus on Brett's back by Irish whipping Hart hard into the corner. Michael goes for a pin, but only gets a two. I will say, the spot on the outside was putting him into the ring post. It was refreshing to see a ring post again that was a ring post. (laughs) How much it was able to be used as a weapon, especially like in Brett's montage of moves, his sharpshooter around the ring post. It was always, it was always a piece. And yeah, it was just refreshing to see a ring post again. <laughs> you know, you saying that just, it, it popped a memory or not memory, but thought in my head that you could not do that figure four around the ring post in today's WWE because they have those screens and I think that would be way too wide to do anything like that. It, it, it would it would have to add a little bit more of a uh, level of difficulty to be able to pull that off. It would it would require um, to be a specific size of an opponent to be able to pull that off, right? That has the the leg length to be able to make that maneuver around the post. Michaels delivers a back body drop. Pinfall only gets a two count. A frustrated Michaels argues with the referee. Hart takes this opening and goes for a back roll-up, but Michaels kicks out. As both men make their way to their feet, Michaels hits Hart 
with a pre-era Sweet Chin Music thrust kick, which was Michael's signature move at the time. Heenan begins to celebrate. Break out the apple pie, the dressing, the cranberries. It's all yours, pal. Be thankful you have one survivor. It was refreshing to see it took this long into the match before we even saw that move or either of their, their, their signatures to really come out. It showed that they had such a such an array of moves in their arsenal that they were able to go this long without having to pull those out of their pull them out of the bags. Michaels goes for his finisher, the teardrop suplex. A desperate heart gouges the eyes of Michaels to escape the move. Both men trade blows before Michaels ducks a swing and delivers his finishing move, the teardrop suplex, to Bret Hart. Michaels, sensing victory, goes for the cover. But the boyhood dream was put on hold as Hart kicks out on two. Michaels is irate and frustrated. And you could tell with the reaction by the crowd how invested everybody was at this moment. Like they knew that things were getting to the point where they were going to see a finish. Somebody was going to come out of this with the win. And you could just hear it in the crowd's reactions at that point of how intense the match had gotten to that point. Like we always, it always gets talked about with wrestling the storytelling, how well these two were at storytelling in a match and how they were able to build the match up to that climactic point where uh, you were on the edge of your seat waiting to see what was about to happen. Michaels picks up Hart and sends him into the ropes, but Hart rebounds with a Hart uppercut so devastating that it sends Michaels stumbling back and getting Michaels tangled up in the ropes. Hart looks to take advantage and charges towards Michaels, but Michaels traps Hart by moving, which in turn causes Bret Hart to get entangled in a web of ropes. And that did not look like a comfortable bump. That had to have hurt the way he went into those ropes. I don't care what people's thoughts are on wrestling. That, I'm telling you right now, had to hurt. I will tell you this, okay? Uh, I've had a little bit, the tiniest bit of wrestling training at the Can-Am Wrestling School. And those ropes, like, they have the old WCW ring. And what okay. those ropes are, they're not like the WWE ropes, but they're elevator cable that have, like, rubber wrapped around it that has tape around, around it. Now, when you first start and you're running the ropes, your body's not kind of, like, used to it. You get a whole bunch of bruises on your back just by running the ropes. Oh, I could imagine. I remember helping with a local show setting up for a WWE live event. And I'll tell you, putting that ring together, it was, it was something just to feel the thickness of those ropes and the, the, the strength of them as you're trying to set them up, how much it would not be pleasant to be put into the ropes like that. Michaels goes to the second rope and jumps off, but Brett catches Michaels by both legs and locks on the sharpshooter. Michaels submits to the delight of the Ohio crowd and they go banana. Brett celebrates by limping around the ring with his prize championship. As Brett hops onto the second rope to celebrate, we get a run-in. The Hitman Brett Hart, victorious, he still remains the WWE Champion. I have never seen anything like this in my life. Five, ten, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Shawn Michaels. 
Michael was so close, a half a second out away. Wait a minute, look who's coming. Look who's coming to ringside. It's the real deal. Look at that. All the way from the North Pole. What do you mean, who's coming? That's not the Easter Bunny, stupid. It's Santa. It's Santa Claus coming in to the Square Circle. Come on, big boy, get in there. And the hog on the part of Santa and the hitman Bret Hart. And what do we have here? We have... It's, it's, it's snowing. It's snowing in the Richfield Coliseum. It's Santa Claus. St. Nick hands Brett a festive hat, and it snows <laughs> in the Richfield Coliseum as the show comes to the close. So before I ask your opinion on this, I have one question. What would have happened had Shawn Michaels won this match? Personally, what I would love to have seen was Santa to do the run-in to give Shawn the Santa hat. Sean, look at the Santa hat, toss it aside, give his finisher to Santa, much to the dismay of the crowd, and then put the Santa hat on and walk out with the sack of sack of gifts. I think that would have been the best way to have had it finish if Sean had come out victorious in that match. Why are <laughs> It would have solidified not... Sean's heel status right then. Why are you not writing for WWE today? <laughs> So let's go back. What was your thoughts on the ending of the match? Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the um, Sean tied up in the ropes, followed by Brett going into the ropes awkwardly on that bump. It was such a perfect transition for them to try and set up the impression that Sean was going to come out victorious on that. And then Sean coming off the second rope directly into Brett catching him for the sharpshooter. It was such a smooth transition for them to move into the finish. It was phenomenal. All right. So right now I'm going to read uh, two excerpts, one from Sean's book and one from Brett's book about this match. So this is from Sean's book. I needed something to do for Survivor Series. Brett was now the World Wrestling Federation champion, having beat Flair for the title in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, just days before I won the IC title. Since there really wasn't any time to build something for either of us at Survivor Series, they put us together in a World Champion versus Intercontinental Champion match. We had a very good contest that he won with a sharpshooter. It's funny when you look back at how different things were and how much they would change over the next five years. No one could have ever guessed in a million years how different our Survivor Series encounter would be. Now I'm going to read from Brett's book. On November 25th, after a long match at the Survivor Series in Richfield, Ohio, I caught Shawn Michaels by the ankles as he was coming off the top rope with a flying dropkick and put him into the sharpshooter to retain the world title at my first pay-per-view as champion. Shawn confessed to me that he wasn't in working shape to go a long match, so I paced the match a lot slower than I would have liked. As a favor to him, Vince said the match was right on the money, which was all I needed to know. So, judging by Brett's uh, excerpt, if you're going by that, this would explain why there were so many rest holds in this match. Absolutely, yes. That, that, would, that, would, that would really show the, uh, the cause for that. So let me ask you this. What was your opinion on this match overall? Overall, it was 
with all the holds, obviously after that excerpt, it explained a lot, but that really did, it was a little bit slow to get off the start. It was, it, it was a little bit slow off the top. Uh, reminded me a lot of some of your matches where you've got two larger guys where it's not that fast paced or moving where obviously it gave them the opportunity to kind of salvage the energy until the end where they really had those big spots like the, uh, the, the, the rope incident, the elbow drop off the top, the, the finishing moments, the signature moments. Um, but really overall, it could have been a little bit quicker out of the gate. It was a little bit off to a slower start at the very beginning. And you could tell it started to ramp up a little bit further as we saw the crowd start to get a little bit more energetic and involved in it. But yeah, that's, that, that's how I saw the match when it first started out. It's funny because depending on who you ask, this match is either a disappointment because of how slow it was, or this match was revolutionary because it was the first time that you had two, quote, small guys main eventing a World Wrestling Federation pay-per-view. Absolutely. And that's the thing, because a lot of people uh, attribute, like, this match to being the beginning, which opened the doors for, you know, uh, uh, Chris Jericho and Eddie Guerrero and what you see now in today's WWF, like with a Daniel or WWE with a Daniel Bryan. Oh, it definitely. It gave, it opened the door to what we know of wrestling today. Like you said, with multiple of those names you just mentioned, there wouldn't have been the place for them if it hadn't been for matches like this. Uh, for example, like this was Shawn Michaels first ever uh, main eventing main event pay-per-view match. He had never had a main event pay-per-view match until this, this, this fight. And this match really gave everyone a glimpse into the future, a very bright future that both of these superstars had, and that there was a possibility of many intense, entertaining battles down the road that we all know definitely was the case. Yeah, you know, for the most part, I agree with you. There was a lot of wrestles. I think a lot of that, though, um, you know, not going by Brett's book, but just in general, my first instinct instinct reaction to it was that they were trying to put on more of a scientific clinic and to show like actual wrestling because the WWF at that point was trying to move into that direction. Um, come WrestleMania nine, they would actually uh, drop this direction when Hogan won the WWF title, which, you know, that's another story for a different time. <laughs> <laughs> But I think that a lot of this was focused on being a scientific match because even when Bret Hart comes out, they call him, you know, the scientific wrestler and they're putting over his work rate. And it, it, was, it was interesting. It was an interesting time. It definitely was. And like you said, it was it was a turning point, right? We had gone from the the '80s era where it was Hogan and it was Warrior and it was it was your big guys, it was your muscular guys, and it was time to take it in a direction where it was not about that. It was about finesse. It was about uh, of technical wrestling and what you could bring to the table. And in in as it developed as it evolved, more of the high flying aspect of wrestling too, right? Your smaller guys really got to move to the front of the table. Awesome. And with that being said, Jay, I want to 
thank you for joining me on Excellently Executed. Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, not really. Just uh, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Love getting the chance to revisit these matches because this was an amazing, amazing time for wrestling. And you got to see what um, what led to what we know of wrestling today. Uh, and just keep just keep on rocking with this podcast, man. This is awesome. I've enjoyed all the episodes I've listened to thus far, and I look forward to hearing what you got down the road. Once again, thank you all for listening. I know this show doesn't come out weekly, but that's not a bad thing. Just hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening, and you'll never miss an episode. You can also keep in touch on Facebook. Just search Excellent Executed or interact with me on Twitter at Brett Harpod. And if you didn't get all that, don't worry because you can always check out my new website at excellentlyexecuted.ca. And until next time, stay excellent.